Greetings, citizen. Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. For more of the art of wargaming in your life, definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that for as little as $1 a month. What we can offer will expand as the show does. If you don't have extra funds but would still like to help us out, you can give us a like, share, or five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch? Feel free to message us or hit up our email, artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you because we know the world is vast, with many different ideas on tactics and strategy that can be applied to the games we enjoy. You're listening to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Firm Network. Fiction Focus, the Klingon Art of War. Welcome to the Art of War Gaming on the Ear Verm Network. I am Yaga Malark, and today we are doing a fiction focus on the Klingon art of war. And I could think of nobody else that could possibly have done this episode with me, except for our dear friend Thumbs. So, in the main body of this particular episode, we will be talking about the Klingon art of war. But before we get to that, a couple of things I wanted to talk about. First is that I am stoked about the new Admec Codex. I am recording this the night before the Codex comes out. I pre-ordered it last week, and it's about to come out. And I, uh, I've, seen, I've seen some of the leaks. I know some of what to expect. But I am giddy. I think giddy would be the word for it. Every time a, a new Codex comes out in this, this particular edition, Admecs, they're very near and dear to my heart. It was the first army that I really invested myself in, in terms of like really learning the rules for it and trying to perfect some strategies for it, which I've never actually been able to test on a tournament level, like nationally. Here locally, it's worked pretty well. But yeah, they're my, they're my first love. They're, they're one of my main focuses in this particular war game. So stoked about that codex. Uh, in the saga of the kill team tournament between TF and I, I have uh, bested him once again. The mission that we did this last time was taking prisoners, and it was again one of those getting close and melee sort of missions. And as I mentioned before, the majority of my kill team is simply acolytes with rock cutters, which are just marine killers. They're, they're really anything killers, but they take away that natural resistance to death that space marines have, especially in something like kill team. So they're wicked. So that was another one where he had to come to grips with me, and it didn't, it didn't go so well. Um, yeah, I, I got initiatives, and I was able to get in and isolate his guys, local numeric superiority. I know we was, were drilling that all last book, but it's a, a good lesson working for me. Because uh, again, man to man, an acolyte versus a space marine, a space marine's going to win every time. But if you could swarm, well, then that's where it's at. That's, that's the moneymaker. So, this next one uh, that we're going to be doing, for, that I'll talk about in the next episode, should be more interesting. We're doing the Escalating Conflict, and that one is going to be a bit more open, because it's whoever controls the objective at the end of the match. So he doesn't have to come to grips with me early on. We'll see if his firepower uh, outmatches my Xenos zealotry. Lastly, I got back into a series that I have missed sorely, and that has come a long way since the last time I played it. The last time I was playing it in my college dorm room, it was still an 8-bit game, 
on the Game Boy and to see it fleshed out really quite beautifully. The Fire Emblem, the Fire Emblem series is quite good. I, I've always loved them. I like the fact that they're, they're tactically sound. You really have to figure out how to get the best out of your units. There's strengths, there's weaknesses, and you have to be able to play those against your enemies. And I really dig that. Of course, it's, you know, fantasy anime combat, but the tactics of it are pretty darn sound. And the graphics in this new one, oh my gosh. You're like commanding a whole battalion of soldiers, so you're out there, and every time it zooms in on the fight, it's, you know, you're running up and slashing the dude, but there's a bunch of other guys fighting around you because your battalion is coming to grips with their battalion. You can send your battalion out to attack without you and just kind of utilize its bonuses. It's, it's cool. That's what I mean to say is that it's a really, really cool game. And if any of you are into that particular style of the game, the turn-based, uh, kind of a, a fantasy kind of a setting, but, you know, you got Pegasus Riders and that sort of thing, but, hey, flyers are, flyers are fantastic, and they have similar strengths and weaknesses as they would in any other war game. So, for any old fans of Fire Emblem, if you haven't gotten this one, totally worth it, and if you are not somebody who has partaken of the series before, this would be a great one to get started with, because... Man, they did great. But I have rambled enough about, uh, about me, and I would prefer now if we would transition into talking about the Klingon Art of War. My dude, Thumbs, it has been too long. My dude, my guy... My malarkalark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to, my man? Like, what's 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 new with you in the world of wargaming? What's going on? Oh, man. When you first told me, you were like, oh, I'm going to ask you what's new. And I, my first thought was like, I can tell him that I went to a restaurant with my 80-year-old grandmother. Way like, not, not related to wargaming, but just the fact that we have reached a point where I can do that every once in a while. I'm like, that's the most exciting thing that's happened to me in a year. <laughs> I mean, I can dig that. What have I been doing in wargaming? Um, Belagarth is that fun little combo of not a lot and a whole lot all at the same time. Because, obviously, we are still not fighting. We're not really holding practices. Uh, but, you know, I am looking here. I recently cleaned my craft space. And I found all of the helms that I have started and gotten to some point of finished Word. since last time I did this. There are five helms, six helms sitting on the same desk that my recording stuff is all on right now. I can see others. Ah. Uh, the The building has not really stopped. Um, I'm sure. still doing a whole ton of leather crafting more than anything else. Turkey was talking to me about... You've seen at least the uh, Star Wars X-Wing miniatures game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Actually, he and I were talking about it the other day, and I was like, I'm already invested in 40K, and like, if Battlefleet Gothic comes out, that's going to be my jam. But mm -hmm. if you guys have the, the X-Wing stuff, I will totally join you. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he messaged me. I, I started to collect a few years ago, and by started, I mean I have like three or four ships for two different armies. And I mean, that that game does not get as big as 40k anyways. Word. But I didn't have a f whole fleet. I, I had, like, one of the starter kits, and then I picked up one or two more for each side, because I'm like, this is fun! 
but I haven't really had time to get into it, and I didn't have anyone who was playing. Sure. But now Turkey's telling me he is playing, and over the quarantine, Cece and I bought a really big table, and I think this is a sign that I'm an adult, that I get excited about stuff, like a really big table. Or you're a gamer. Yeah. It was designed to play D&D. Well, mostly Catalyst in our case, but same concept. And, uh... Yeah. Board games and whatever games, and it is perfectly sized for what we're looking for. So... Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, other than that... I guess maybe motorcycle. I got a motorcycle and I've been practicing on it because I am super looking forward to doing motorcycle eventing again. Yeah. I love I, doing that. I know that it's totally impractical and probably extremely dangerous, but I still have this dream from my very first year of, uh, of Bellegarth of getting a group of guys together, or gals, it doesn't matter. Nine, has to be nine. Beeps. And then putting them all in like black cloaks, like long black cloaks, and then riding in on black motorcycles and being the <laughs> Nazgul. Yeah. Okay, so on one hand, I want to say that I'm in. On the other hand, I once got a belt flag stuck on my back wheel. Right. And that was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. So the idea of going in with, like, a cloak or a cape or anything gives me the cold sweats. And it should. It's a very impractical <laughs> and dangerous idea that nobody should attempt, but it's still a really cool mental image. <laughs> it's okay. I've always wanted to uh, get to, an, get to like... I always imagined this at, like, Haley, Idaho, where we used to have Chaos Wars. But, like, right, 20 right. miles outside of town, pull over and change into, like, proper get-up with full armor and everything and ride mm -hmm. into town on, like, you know, full armor kind of style. But a buddy of mine was like, you better be prepared to be pulled over by every police officer you pass. Why? For looking like a weird, angry leather weirdo. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I'd be wearing, like, a freaking school kit. Like... Right. See, again, like, what we think would be cool, the cops would think is, you know terrifying and probably a disturbance to the peace and in most cases they might be right but uh we're just weird that's that's what it is and there's no harm here uh dispatch it looks like someone that came straight out of a post-apocalyptic 80s movie just drove past me uh, <laughs> i think i'm gonna go check on that yeah yeah but no, so I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you've at least kept yourself busy. I know that the building thing is something that brings you a lot of joy, and you're quite good at it. So I'm, I'm glad that that's been something you continued with, and I got to see this new motorcycle sometime. I mean, that's just, oh my God. that's just something that needs to happen. Oh my God, I'm so excited about it. Uh, with the building, I've reached the unfortunate point of I look at the stuff that I was making at the beginning of quarantine, and it looks primitive to me now. Right. So all the stuff I made of, like, I'm going to look great, and I'm looking at it, and I've made other stuff for other people, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, I have to upgrade everything. I I haven't even used this yet. Well, like, every time you see my armor, you say the same thing. Like, I've, I've loved my armor since the day you built it, and then every time you see it, you're like, oh, I could have done this differently, or I should have done this, and this, and this, and it's like... I mean, I love it, but it, I I'm get sorry. it. It's the curse of crafting. <laughs> right. 
it's the curse of being an artist. Like, I've never met an artist that didn't critique their own work way too heavily. I was trying to explain this to you once, and you're like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, just imagine going back to listening to the first episode of Art of War Gaming from, a, what is that, two no, years ago now? I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I've done it. It's uh, it's rough. <laughs> I've, I've done it with every podcast I have. I try to always listen to episodes, like all the episodes I do, and I definitely like go back every once in a while. I'm like, oh, God, no. Oh, I'm so glad people are still listening to me. We've come so far. <laughs> And just think where we'll be in like two or three years. We'll be looking back being like, my God, those noobs and their noobishness. How embarrassing. They have no honor. Speaking of honor. <laughs> Thank you for grabbing that. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to give us a little intro to this book we're about to uh, do a little coverage of? So this book is kind of infamous in Art of Wargaming canon, I guess, because this is our Great Lost episode. Uh, yeah. We have covered this book before, and technical difficulties happened, and we never got to release that, and we're always like, we'll have to do it again someday. And even when I was like, I need to step back from the podcast, it was very clear that when it came time to do this episode, I was going to be here again. Right, right. I, I, so, how could I do a Klingon episode without you? That That's just silly. That's very <laughs> no, silly. It'd be, it, it would not work. Uh, the Klingons are probably my favorite fictional species. Actually, I can just end that sentence there. They're, they're probably right. my favorite fictional species. They are insane. They're so weird <laughs> as a culture, and I just really adore them. This is the Klingon Art of War, Ancient Principles of Ruthless Honor, translated from the original Klingon by Keith R.A. DeCandido. And it is basically copyright infringement on Sun Tzu's Art of War, but through a Star Wars lens. There are ten precepts with following dictums, which is just like the precepts. Wait, 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 wait. I gotta make a correction real quick because you just said Star Wars and I'm about to get a lot of hate mail. Oh my god, where did I say? Uh, went through a... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get my nerd card revoked. Okay, through a Star Trek lens. Ah, I've right, been thinking about nothing but Star Trek all day long. And I do that. Um, anyways... There are, you know, the ten lessons, and then there are examples from Klingon history or Klingon legends that uh, exemplify the lesson taught here. And then at the very end of the chapter, and I'm just mentioning it because it probably won't come up in the chap like in the discussion itself much, is what is called Kratok's Commentaries. And it's the idea that the guy that edited this from ancient Klingon is putting in his own thoughts and being like, you remember the great encounter with the opera singer who got angry and violated his honor? And he messed up this... He, he didn't follow this precept, and now he died. A worthless patak. And it's a weird bit of world-building, because, I mean, we've done several of these books at this point, and I have never found another book that's like, here are the lessons of war, of, you know, for the glory of the emperor, or for the good of the Jedi that shows like and here was a restaurant worker who also followed these precepts and like you get a a more complete look at what Klingon life is than I've seen like anywhere else where it's usually hey those like six pirates on a ship well yeah that's the representation in Star Trek though they show up they they do something they blow some things up they 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 mess up the plans and then they disappear again so of course we have this image of them as just being in constant state of war but I mean nobody does that like I mean even even the most warriorist of warriors 
spends at least 90% of them, their time not at war. I mean, there mm -hmm. may be training, they might be hanging out with their squad mates or their shipmates or, or whatever the case may be, but there is a whole lot more to life, even if you are a warrior. And but these 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 general ideas still apply. So I too like I really dig that part of the, this book because it does make it more realistic and it gives you a richer view of like Klingon life. Well, and one of the things I like about Klingons, and they point it out here, is because there is such a. I mean, we've been getting uh, stories about Klingons since the '60s, right? And the early Klingons were way different than, like, the warrior culture devolved, uh, not devolved, evolved into as a kind of creative concept. But that means that we have, like, these dictums, but then we also have Klingons who super did not follow those dictums. Right. Like, their, you know, honor was not a big thing for the original series, so you're like, wait, this honorable culture did what now to the grain? Like, this yeah. is... Why are the people that, uh, in theory, wouldn't even wear helmets because it hides the face is, like, turning invisible in the middle of a fight? Because people are complicated and round, and, like, even some of these dictums almost contradict each other. Right. I mean, that's, again, that's kind of... I mean, it's just life in general. I, I, we haven't studied any books that didn't have contradictions or, or things that we needed to pick a fight with. I mean, I'm not sure if Mr. DeCandido... Is uh, is still with us, but like, I mean, we could go knock on his door and pick a fight. I suppose pick a light fight with a live guy, pick but that doesn't doesn't sound quite. That's a crime. Um, that is a that's assault. That's assault right there. Yeah. So maybe not. We'll just we'll... also you made a book I really like, so I desperately don't want to anyways. Like, thank you, Mister D Candido. Uh... <laughs> no, I suppose yeah, that's true too. That's true too. But the way we're gonna go through this is there are ten precepts. One of us will read the basic precept. And then we will talk about it a bit, and then we each picked... They have example stories. We will each tell you what our favorite of the example stories was and give a quick summary of the story. Yeah, yeah. Like, we won't, we won't read the whole thing out, but we'll talk it out. The first precept. Choose your enemies well. Dictum. The proper foe. Warriors must regard their enemies as highly as they regard themselves. With no enemy, a warrior is only half alive. The foe is the warrior's mirror, and the warrior finds in his opponent the true image of himself. Warriors crave foes against whom they can be tested, their limits exposed and transcended. Recognizing one's rightful enemy is as sweet as discovering a hidden part of oneself, a long dormant desire, an ambition resurgent. Facing and defeating this enemy refines and elevates the hidden self, the essential nature. Victory against an enemy too easily bested is fraudulent, a sham of honorable combat, and it reveals only the blemish in a warrior's heart. Yeah. Oh my god, it's like the side of a like metal van. <laughs> I'm sitting here just being like, you could make that into lyrics, and, and uh, Mr. Um, De Candido could be the next metal writer. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's pretty uh, I mean, the basics of this one is pretty simple. Pick your... That is exactly what it says. It's pick your enemies wisely. Choose your enemies well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, I like that it mentions that it goes both ways. Like, don't... Don't pick an enemy you don't necessarily need to have, if, especially if they can just kill you. But don't beat up the new kid on the field every time and either. Because, one, it doesn't help you at all, and it shows your true face. You kind of stink. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I got kind of the same thing from it. It's, it's basically saying that one of the best ways to get better, really the only way 
to get better is to seek out opponents that challenge you. Um, and, 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 you know, those could be opponents that are way better than you, but they, they should be opponents that obviously we can study their motions and learn from them, not just be like, I don't know how you killed me, but I am dead and very confused. Or it's kind of the same thing in 40k. You want to seek out people. We want to seek out people to challenge us. What's what's the point in fighting people that like can't fight back? That's that's silly. So I, yeah, but like the futility of effort too. I, I, like one of the stories really goes over this idea of like why would you even pick that fight? Like there, that is a fight that cannot be won, and you're just kind of being dumb at this point to prove a point. I yeah. Yeah. If, if you're having trouble, I mean, it can be as simple as, like, on a on a on-field thing. If you are getting squashed by this same little part of the shield wall every time, and you're not helping anything by that, like, if it's, you know, if it's worth it, if you need to hold these guys back long enough while their stuff happens, that's a well-picked enemy. But if you're just running up against the same dude and he's killing you the same shot every time, no matter the fight go do something else for a while. That is a poorly picked enemy. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to learn from somebody that you can't, you can't even understand what's happening. But like you said, like if you're just going and picking on the new people or the people that aren't that, that, that good at the, whatever we're doing, well, yeah, that's not a good look. Yeah. Uh, someone once told me about a game. If you can't win by your third round, what's the point? And I'm like, man, you and I have, like, 100% opposite views of, of like, the point of doing stuff like Wargaming. Because if I'm winning every time by the third round, that just means I'm not doing a great job of helping out my opponents or I'm being a bully. That means I'm bored. Yeah, that too. It's not... How is that? Never mind. Not, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, we both have some favorite stories from this one that I think I think we should share. What do you would you like to go first, sir? Sure. And to be honest, I would not be surprised if we had the same story here. This is like Which one did you choose? Uh the Walls of Quinlot. Ah, we chose a different one. Perfect. Okay. Well, this is probably my favorite Klingon story in general, and part of the reason why is a is Klingon Space Jesus comes back in an episode and, like, spends the entire episode being like, isn't it great that we're Klingons? This is so exciting! Uh, and he tells this story, and that actor puts, like, so much emotion into a role that he didn't necessarily have to put pathos into, but, like, did that for all of us and made everyone better for it. Right. Uh, and so I, I hear it in this actor's voice every time I read it. But the basic idea... Klingon Space Jesus, by the way, is a man named Kalos. He comes up a lot in this book, so I'm just... Kalos. Kalos brought the Klingons the ways of honor. But there's a story of a uh, storm coming to the city of Quinlat, and Kalos goes up to a man who is standing on the walls, not seeking shelter like everyone else is from this storm, which you get the sense is like hurricane kind of storm. This isn't, you know, yeah. the thunderstorm we had last week. Still not probably wise to stand out, but... No, generally not a good idea, but, like, this is Nasty Storm. And the man's like, well, I'm not afraid of no storm. I will go stand on the walls, and I will make it respect me. Kalos is like, sure, dude, okay. Like, you have fun with that. I'm gonna go take shelter from the hurricane. Storm hits the city. The city is damaged, but everyone survives except for the dude standing on the walls. 
Right, yeah. Because uh, he, you know, spit on a twister. Uh, and Kalis does not care at all because the wind does not respect a fool. Right. Possibly the storm does not respect... Either way, like, it's... Uh, and it's kind of the ultimate example of did I really need to pick this fight? Like, sure, fights are important, but was this one? Yeah, and it's about that futility of effort. Like, why would you even pick that fight when you didn't need to and when it could not be won? You know. And even if you survive, like, you're going to be just worn out for the next fight that might actually matter but right what about you what did you pick well i really enjoyed the story about the gods and the great tree this is another great one so yes yeah i i I dig this one because like at one point the klingons had like gods they had actual like physical beings that apparently ruled over their planet and one of them comes down and like bestows a gift and starts getting followers, starts getting people like to worship them and stuff. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then more gods come down and they're like, neat, I want some of that. And so eventually you have all these gods with control over the, like with all these followers who are also with warring interests. They're turning these Klingons against one another and pursuing their own agendas. And so eventually they, uh, they come together under a, a fella named Kortar the Mighty and his mate Baka. And they kind of bring everybody together and say, we're done with this. And so they rise up and they destroy the great tree and slay the gods. And basically declare, we don't need any masters. We don't need anybody above us. We don't need gods to help us. We are Klingons. And that is enough. Uh, This is kind of like if the Spartans got sick of Zeus's... uh crud BS. We'll go with that sick of Zeus's yes sick of Zeus's BS and went and like blew up Mount Olympus and then we're like we are Sparta no yeah so I, I dig this one because it's 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 implying that like all masters exist to be usurped which is which is very true what we've experienced what we see in, in war games and war all the time is that warriors get old and then the young surpass them. That's, that's just the way it works. And so those who are the masters, it, they, they must be surpassed. They exist to be surpassed. We need to get better than them. And so in this particular case, it's like, well, the Klingons, they had masters and they said, we don't need you. We're, we're more powerful than this. And they rose above and, and kind of attained a higher destiny. Well, and it's kind of similar to the Quinlat one because, I mean, it is facing something significantly more powerful than yourself. Right. But it's a wisely chosen enemy because also the benefit of what you get out of it and what you show about yourself, if nothing else, is worth the cost of I might die as opposed to hurricane. I'll stop right. talking about the hurricane now, but like you get, you know, <laughs> it is the well-chosen you. enemy uh, as opposed to just the poorly chosen enemy. So I got this uh, second precept here for us, and it is strike quickly or strike not and our, our dictum here to kind of clarify, warriors must exalt unfettered action. While counselors discuss and scholars debate, warriors act. The harmonious warrior, the warrior always marching toward that which confers honor, does not hesitate. Action taken without undue consideration is pure, and warriors seek purity. Purity of action, purity of purpose. When the fear of danger looms, wise warriors will assail it. When the thought of failure creeps, noble warriors will banish it. Thus purged of doubt, 
A warrior's mind is light as smoke. Quiet minds, free of deliberation, construct no obstacles between warriors and their arms. Clear minds do not impede the will, the primary instrument of a warrior's power. And I dig this. This is something that really applies, I think. So just to get it out there, in real life, if you are someone who fights for a living, please think through your actions a little bit, like, before the fight starts. But I do definitely understand, like, once the fight starts, you are there. The longer I go, oh, do do, do I want that shoulder, or, or ooh, maybe I should go for the kidney, or I could do a stab, and it ends up... Nothing kills me faster than getting stuck in my own head. Now, one of the things that we that we abided by when I was you know, like working a little bit with the military was that if your training is good, then your instincts on the field should be sufficient. So by the time you're on the field, that is too late to really learn anything on the spot. Whatever habits we have, whatever excellence that we have pursued, that is with us at that time. So it's, it's wise to rely on our instincts. We, you know, if we've been training and we've been honing our skill and perfecting our craft, then our instincts should be trust or trusted. You know, because uh, if when we overthink things, like you said, we can stumble over ourselves and achieve nothing. And I really did like this reminds me of, of a, uh, something that Musashi said. And Musashi was talking about how you should never make a futile strike. We should always be striking for the kill. Every single shot we throw should be a kill shot, even if it's blocked, even if it if it's avoided. If the idea is to slay your opponent. Do that. Don't hit their sword. We're not trying to hit their, we're not trying to hit their, uh, you know, their front linemen or something like that. We're going for characters. We're going for people who are high up, and we're we're going for the kill every time. Honestly, it strikes a lot of balance with Yoda's "Do or do not." There is no try. Yeah, there's but that too. I will do the thing. I might succeed. I might fail. But I am going to put my all into doing the thing. The idea of, or right. I will just not do it at all. The try, the like, I don't know, maybe. It's setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. If you fail, whatever. But at least you did the thing. At least you committed. Which means that, like, at least we can say that we tried our hardest. You know? Yeah. Especially, you know, a thing like wargaming. I'm going to be back up in five minutes. It's fine. I might be yeah. a little sore tomorrow, but, like, I'm going to be anyways. Our models aren't destroyed. We get to put them in a box and play with them later. Yeah, Yeah. if your models are destroyed at the end of the game, I don't think you're very good at playing this game. But uh, Games Workshop probably loves you, and it pays their, like, bills. Either that or your opponent is a terror, and you should probably stop playing against them. <laughs> he should be banned from the game club, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So my favorite story from this section is uh, in the Valley of Hamar. And this one's, this one's pretty... What was yours? Did you have the same one? No, no, no. Go ahead and tell... Uh, I have a different one. So this one, it's talking about one of the greatest battles in the history. And there was this warlord who had a really, really strong position, a, a very strong army. However, they had moved very quickly, much like the Romans that we had talked about moving to, to go and, and, and hit the Goths. These guys just marched straight through and yeah, they were they were they were just kind of coming as quickly as they could, and they were very tired, of course, but they still were able to do things. They they left their their uh, mounts behind because their horses were super tired, weren't going to be any any going to be any use, and so 
they refused to wait until the sun rose because they knew that there was either going to be a siege or long pitched battle and that that was not going to work. And so they moved in and yeah, did the killing. That, a lot of the stories end with, and then they did the killing. Like that's so. That's uh, well done. But anyway, so the, the idea here was that an ambush was better than a siege. You know, the, when they were faced with the idea of okay, we can we can sit here and wait till morning when they know we're here, and then you know go after them at that point. But we've talked about before, like just about every single author we've covered is, is says has said if you can avoid a siege, uh, do that because mm-hmm. sieges are not are not fun for either or either side they're very expensive yeah even if you win it's traumatic too <laughs> like no one wins right. a siege really so in this particular case they they went in and they struck quickly you know they they went they they saw their enemy and decided that that was the time to make sure that they were taken out mm-hmm. my story is actually pretty similar you and i definitely got the same i mean admittedly really on the nose lesson here uh i went with the warlord of the mountain Oh, good one. Which, in the Golkov Mountains, the uh, the base Kolvat stood undefeated for centuries. No one, it, it's, you know, it's Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. It is so well defended that you can't get in. And this army's coming in, and they have, they have to take this place. But no one can, because it's, you know, Kolvat in the Golgoth Mountains. So a general attacks, he's even attacking with, like, good plants. He's attacking when the sun is rising at just the right spot, so it's hitting the soldiers in the eyes. But because they're still battling at Helm's Deep, as I said, they're okay. But one soldier on the uh, attacking side sees a weakness in the strategy and he strips off all of his armor and he takes only his diktag, which is those, like, cool-looking Klingon knives with the, like, side pointy bits coming out. Yeah, yeah. And he sneaks in and slits everyone's throats while they're asleep. He struck quickly, and he realized, not just striking quickly, but striking quickly wisely, that uh, one guy with a knife and the right conditions can do a whole lot against something that 10,000 Klingons couldn't. Just couldn't. Well, a lot of this is about economy of force, too, in a lot of ways. Like, using exactly what is needed to overcome. Like, the, the Klingons in your story could have gone in for the pitched siege. They could have uh, tried to fight the battle their enemy's way. But with this small application of force, this one dude going in, that, that was what was sufficient to do so. Uh, same thing in the, in the Valley of Hamar. If they would have waited, then that economy of force would have been wasted. But instead, they kept going with the momentum and the, and the energy they had. And, you know took out their opponent what i like is both precepts or both our stories uh fit with actual battles in history that you and i have covered on this podcast because like the persians we talked about were amazing with archery but they didn't do well against heavy troops because archery could just weather or couldn't take out enough people that is uh picking your foe wrong but if you can leave those heavy troops and put them up against cavalry or something that's a very smart decision right your story is pretty much just the Battle of the Delaware, or the Crossing the Delaware. Sure. But sure. Klingon style. <laughs> That's American uh, Revolution, for those of you uh, that are not from our continent. Thank you. So what's our next one? For our third precept, always face your enemy. Dictum, the trumpeted arrival. 
warriors must announce themselves, proclaiming their intentions and desires, entering to the trumpets of their certainty. Warriors make themselves known at all times. Theirs is the way of honesty and backbone. For this reason they forswear the shadows. A warrior does not whisper, nor plot, nor connive in unwitnessed secrecy. Warriors show their faces and hurry to confront danger, fear, and pain. You must not hide. Make your cause known to all, even to your enemy. It is only through candor, as simple as a blade, that you can achieve true strength and lasting honor. Kapla! Kapla! And then you, your eyes have to go like super wide, like the can- Chancellor from Next Gen Deep Space Nine. I don't think I don't think I could ever mimic Gowron. He he no, just I can't. The, 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 I've the, tried. That actor was just he was too good. <laughs> so this is possibly the most interesting one to me because. Klingons have cloaking devices. And it directly co- it contradicts the precept that we just covered and the stories mm-hmm. that were in that precept. <laughs> uh, Klingons have cloaking. There's one point where they talk about uh, during war, if a ship is setting off, you know, like a, a distress signal, Klingons will hide out cloaked so they can attack if someone comes to save it. Or another time a Klingon ship is like cloaking moving, decloaking, firing, and then recloaking before they have a chance to 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 like lock on to where these ships are. Right. That is one hundred percent against the precept here. But the argument made is in combat there is no honor greater than victory. Mm. And I spent longer than I probably should have trying to like balance these two things together. And I think the reasoning they would go with is once combat is started, the rules are off. The Klingons aren't, you know, sneak attacking the opening war. They're popping up and being like, Hello! You and I will be warring now. Congratulations, this will be very exciting for us both. It is time for some war. And then they attack. They're not plotting political assassinations. They're not... Well, for the most part. I know that there was that, that like brief encounter with the... Uh... Uh, the other dudes. I'm not a huge Star Trek guy, unfortunately, but like the, there was that that series like around Gowron, where oh the House kind of, of Duras. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, but that dude had no honor and died that way. Um. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I I think this is largely about integrity too. A lot of what they're saying here, especially when it comes to our personal relationships, is to say you know be upfront. And, mm-hmm. and kind of honor what you're saying, like be true to your word, because they're talking about reputation a lot here. This, this concept of honor is really just your regard and your reputation amongst your warrior peers. And so sneakiness doesn't really gain you honor or glory. And on a purely social level, don't pretend to be someone's friend when you're not. That doesn't mean like, word. you know, be mean to them, be rude to them. But don't be like, hey, buddy, like, oh, I, uh, we're so close. I trust you so much. And then go be cruddy to them somewhere else. Yeah. You know, if someone is your enemy, that doesn't mean you have to punch them in the face. But, like, they deserve to know. Sure. Or at least at least not be uh, taken in by falsehoods. Yeah. For sure. Which is why they hate the Romulans so much, but... Yeah, oh, the Romulans, that's what I meant. Those guys, the, the guys oh, yes, I the was Romulan mentioning guys. earlier. The Romulans, yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite story from this one? You know, I'm sure that we're not sharing one because mine's actually from Kratok's commentary at the end. 
Okay, okay. Uh, the part of it is because I really love the Dahar Master. It is like the highest honored position that you can get in Klingon culture. I looked it up. It involves a thousand victories and stuff like that. Like, I, I have won a thousand fights is a basic requirement to be a Dahar Master. That's an That's insane few... number of fights. That's... Yeah. The first Dahar Master makes amazing goals. He makes, uh, he conquers huge amounts. He's a, a national hero to the point that they create the rank of the Dahar Master because they didn't have a rank in the military that bestowed enough honor upon it. But then legendarily, his chief aide murders him in his sleep. And the chief aide is remembered as this great betrayer, this, you know, absolutely failed the third precept. But they find out later that, honestly, both sides have betrayed the third precept. Because it turns out that his chief aide wasn't his, like, chief aide. He was his partner. Ah. He was doing all of the plotting, not the, not the scheming, but, like, he would come up with the strategy. And then his buddy, the first Dahar master who has all of the charisma and the leadership would be like, we're going to go do this thing. But because mm. he's that guy, the, the charismatic one, he stole all of the credit from his partner. And he's like, oh, right. he's just my aide. That guy broke a couple of precepts because he just made really stupid choices right there. Like, it's not, it's not good to do that. And it's making a person your enemy that didn't need to be and it's not really telling because he's telling him like oh yeah you're my partner and then he's treating him elsewhere but also the guy who kills him the the aide not aide is also violating this precept because he's being like yes I am your loyal companion and I'm going to stab you in your sleep by Klingon rules if he had gone up to him and been like hey I am publicly calling you out we did these things together and you have weakened my honor by not crediting me with my wins and then killed him or died either way he would have still died with honor because he was open about his intentions and what he needed to do he faced his enemy but he didn't do that so even though he was kind of in the right he still died an honorless patak to use the clinic sure. terms sure I mean he violated the, the rules of their society mm -hmm. in a lot of ways but the story I chose is, is very similar in its message I chose the fearful warlord which again is 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 very similar, just a slightly different situation. You have this this leader who has a general of massive renown. This this general is constantly winning and wins a lot of popularity, and the, the people love him. And the leader starts to get jealous and starts to get fearful that this general might usurp him because uh, the general has a lot more support from the people. And so after this general comes in to report after a, a, his last battle. This leader just stabs him in the back and kills him right there and then claims that it was a fight between the two of them. Obviously, that's kind of seen through because you don't really get stabbed in the back as a Klingon if you're having a fair, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one fight. Yeah, no, it takes some work. Yeah, it does. Um, and he dies in disgrace. He, he is uh, he's completely honorless by the time he's done. And, and much like the fellow from your story, if he'd have just called his general out and said, hey, we're going to fight now, or even commanded the general to take his own life. Those things would have would have worked, but instead he chose to stab the dude in the back, and, and that violated everything. So in a lot of ways, 
I think that this precept applies less to the battlefield and more to your dealings with other Klingons or, or with your peers. Which is to say, be upfront and honest and don't stab people in the back. Don't don't stab people in the back. It is generally frowned upon. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I know anybody who's like, hmm, backstabbing, that's something I could go for. Good call. <laughs> uh, well, and I think the most important thing to remember from this is, you know, even if you stab your enemy in the back, even if you win doing that way, you have harmed yourself. Right. In both of these cases, fatally. And, and it kind of tr proves true on social stuff. If you mess up your friends or your people around you, if you make stuff worse for them, they're not going to trust you anymore. And it's just going to end up backfiring. It will. And actually, over the last couple of, of episodes when we were studying the Soviet-Afghan war, that's absolutely true. You know, there was, there was so many things that occurred there that shook the integrity and the, and the kind of support system that was going on there. And uh, yeah, it wasn't good. Obviously, it didn't end well. So let's move on to our, our next precept. Seek adversity. This, is, this dictum is called the arduous path. Warriors must keep their feet on the road to strife. Honor can be found along the wayside, an honor born of sacrifice. Beware the prize won easily. It is a stone hung around your neck, and it testifies only to the fact of its own irrelevance. Comfort summons indolence, inaction, and insignificance. To shrink from danger is to shrink from duty. But righteousness demands more than holding one's ground. It calls the warrior to run into the whirlwind, for it is there where glory dwells. Let struggle, never prudence, never what is merely reasonable, be your criterion, rigor your law. I'm sore just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, this is me thinking about all of the hikes I need to be doing, uh, all of the all of the various workout things. Don't settle for mediocrity. You know, don't take the shortcut if you can. If you're not challenging yourself, if you're not working to make yourself better, then you're not gonna be what you can be. Uh, it kind of fits in with what I was talking about of seeing the stuff I made at the beginning of quarantine and finding it kind of primitive right? compared to like what I can make now because sure. I mean it's not adversity and like I'm going to punch that guy but considering that I continued to try things I continued to do things and I learned from all of those I went oh here's what I can do now it's so much better than what I could do then because I sought adversity because I took risks it applies to the field, too. It can be... A lot of people are hesitant. I notice a lot of people um, you know, being very hesitant when they first join the field and perhaps not wanting to go into the scrum or into the, to the thick of what is going on. But that's one of the only ways you can learn. If we're going to be a melee combatant, then we need to get into the melee. And fire hones the blade. We are only, we are only made strong by exposure to this adversity. Uh, comfortably training just to get like I've been doing bag drills and that's great like it helps me keep my forms it helps keep me in practice but it is nothing like having a live opponent the first time I went on the field at an event like I'd been fighting for several years at that point but I'd never been to a real event like you know with more than like 20 people uh, right and as the fight started I suddenly realized how wildly out of my depth I was like 
because I had never sought anything on that level. So even though I thought I was pretty decent, I was introduced to a new level of war right there, and I learned right. so much in that first half day. Uh, and if I had just been like, well, nope, I can't do that, if I hadn't sought that adversity, I would not be where I am now. Right. You know, on the field or off the field, honestly. like, Yeah, I was... I- I was very jealous when, because I, w- I wasn't one of the first people in Stygia to go to events. Actually, it took me a while to be able to get to go. You went before I did. Um, I know Toto went before I did. Nope, that's not true, because I didn't go till uh, the Chaos with the Empire. Oh. You were there with uh, Halloween. But not important, to th- I'm sorry, not important to the story. <laughs> Anyways, there were there were people, Thumbs evidently was not one of them, but uh, there were people who I know Toto was one of them, and they went to an event, and then they came back, and they were amazing. Like, they had leveled up at that event, and suddenly, like, we had been peers before they went, and then they came back, and, and I was like, wow, you, you're a, a grade above me at this point. And so at that point, I was like, okay, th- that's adversity, because, you know, you go com- comfortable at home. Whether it's your local, um, you know, Warhammer store, or whether it's your local field, you begin, we begin to learn the patterns of our opponents, we begin to get comfortable in those exchanges. And it's only through going and doing some sort of national competition where you're up, we're up against people from all over the place, styles of all different shapes and sizes. And it is there that we can actually perfect our form and our fighting. Well, and I've talked about it before. At local practices on your average Sunday, I'm only going about 75%, 75, sure. 80%. Because, you know, I, in my case, I usually have gone to work before going to practice. Or, uh, for other people, their work week starts tomorrow, so they have to be, like, they can't beat themselves up too badly because life exists, you know, a couple of blocks away. As opposed to, I am here for a week. I am going to immerse myself. I'm going to run hard. I'm going to see what I can do. So, it, um... It changes your perception of the game permanently when you do that. Sure. So I wonder if we chose the same one for this one. We haven't matched up quite so far, but which which story did you choose? The Christoch Mountains. All right, that one that was different than mine. Let's let's hear that one. So, Kalos once speaks of two warriors who are on their way to a battle. They know that they are needed there as quickly as possible, but they reach a fork in the road, and if they go one way. It is a longer way. It'll take them an extra day to get to this battle, but they will be able to get there kind of well-rested. There isn't much danger. Or you can go a shorter way, which in theory will get you to the battle faster, but you have to face off uh, really terrifying-sounding predators like needle vipers and whatever a klongat is, uh, and face off, you know, lava, literal lava going on. And so one guy's like, no, I'm not going to go fight a bunch of stuff before the fight. I need to be, like, prepared for it. Like, I need to be rested or whatever. I'm going to go the slower way and I'll be ready. Well, the other guy... But this other guy goes in and he just fights his way through everything. He punches those needle vipers. He stabs those whatever clone bats are. That's my cat. My cat is a clone bat. Um, We have to have a cat cameo every now and then. He ends up taking as long as the other guy takes because he has to, like, stop and have all these fights. But by the time he gets to the battle, he is so much 
better like trained. He's at the, the edge of the top of his game. He's been fighting monsters. He knows what to do in a fight. Well, the guy who's just been, you know, walking through the daisy fields isn't ready in the same way and quickly sure. dies. Yeah, I'm not warmed up, not in the headset. One thing I kind of love about this is if you're playing like D&D or Wargaming or something where you can level up, this is 100% true. But also, yeah. if you're going to a big battle, maybe don't pick a fight with a pack of wolves on the way. Like it. I mean, you do you, but I wouldn't do it. No, because you're going to be tired and probably bleeding, and depending on what weapon you're using, holding significantly less bullets than you were before. But from a, like, if you don't take it as literal truth and you take it as parable, which most of these clearly are, it makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, when I got back from that Chaos Wars that we were talking about for my first one, you and I started training the realm hard. Yeah. Being like, we've been to an event, we know what to expect, you need to be ready for it. And you and I had gone the, the easy path before, and we went to our first events, and we got steamrolled. Got stomped. Proper stomped. But people like Turkey went to their first event. Divot went to their first event. And they were ready. They they were expecting to get rolled like we warned them. Because we spent the whole year being like, we're going to fight you harder so you're ready. You're still going to get rolled when you get back, but don't feel bad. Like, that's just... You're leveling up. And, I mean, it wasn't like they were the best fighters on the field. But because they had had that year of extra training, they were way more prepared than we ever were. Sure, yeah, we went in blind, but we made sure that our buddies didn't. And uh, and they definitely, again, you know, they weren't winning tournaments that first time around, but they held their own. And that was admirable. What about you? What's your story? Yeah, the one I chose was uh, the Mokbara. Did I say that right? My Klingon is rusty, as in I've never studied it. I think it's mock, not mok, but who knows? It is a made-up language from a 1990s TV show. Well, apparently I'm speaking with a southern accent, the, the Mokbara. Um, <laughs> and it's very short. Like this, this is one of the shorter uh, uh, sections of this one. It's, it's kind of toward the end near the commentary. And it's very simple. It basically talks about the, the sword forms, the very, uh, or the, uh, the, the forms of the Batleth that can be done, the, the different moves and styles, but it has them in kind of a integral fashion where you start with the basics and then you, after you've mastered the basics, you move up to some interme intermediate moves or, or techniques. And once you master those, you move up to expert and so on and so forth. And it, it's just a really good, even if the moves themselves aren't necessarily practical within what we do, the idea is, which is to say that we need to train, but like not training from the basics. Like I go over the basics constantly. I've been doing this for... I lose track of how many years I've been doing this. Uh, we're not at 20 yet, but we're getting pretty close. But I always practice the basics. I'm constantly going through the, the shot forms and the basic blocks and everything like that so that my body continues to know what those, what those are. I also train with other things, different moves, different techniques, but I start every time I practice with the basics. And I would recommend that, that everybody else would do that because it, it really, when we were talking about that instinct before, fight, trusting your instinct, if you have the basics as just muscle memory, eh, that makes it a lot easier. 
I've had people talk to me about, you know, starting fighting out after the pandemic again, like once we get going again, and being kind of scared because they remember being good. Which is very understandable. Like, you know, we have lost a year and a half of all of the, like, momentum that we had going. But on some level, this is actually really kind of exciting to me because we can all kind of go in being like, we're all rusty, we're all trying, here's a chance that we can, like, confront bad habits that we may have had even before COVID hit. But because, you know, this is a good time for us to go back to the basics if we need it. This is a good time to challenge stuff. I haven't always practiced the basics in the way that you're talking about, and it definitely has hurt me. There are things that are the basics that I never picked up quite right, and I have spent years trying to work around that in some cases. Sure. So this opportunity to go in with the basics, go in and learn kind of from scratch, um, you know, with the higher advantage, is very good. We've talked before about how being gone for a while can sometimes help your fighting because it gives you kind of a chance to reset in some ways. Right. No, I can I can see that. It'll be interesting. Sorry, I went a little off topic there. But. No, that I mean that's that's a valid idea. Um I know that it's I've been I've been rehearsing things in my head. For instance in, in 40k I've been reading all the rules and trying to play through battles in my head, especially with this new army. I I've been really trying to sink my teeth into how to do it. And being able to finally start practicing that because TNF TF and I have finally started to be able to uh, meet up and mm-hmm. do some games. It's been really nice to be able to see it in practical mode and uh, yeah, to kind of see the the. But like physically speaking, yeah, we're gonna hit the field, and after about fifteen minutes, everybody's gonna be winded. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have break. to have a good lie down after about ten. I'll tell you right now. And then rinse and repeats. The the thing I'm actually kind of nervous about is the spear. Oh, for sure. Like, uh, for most everything, because I've done a little bit of sparring, again, with TF, because as soon as he could see people, like, he figured out the day that I was not only fully vaccinated, but the, like, wait two weeks or whatever it was. Right. And he figured out, like, that day and was like, let's spar. <laughs> <laughs> He's hungry. He's, He's hungry, hungry. for it. Uh, and, well, and it was just kind of fun to see what I still knew. But, you know, with the sword, I have been using that since I was 15 years old. This stuff, even if it's not my dominant style anymore, is just so ingrained in me. And there's sure. only so long the sword is, so it's there's only... I mean, you can do a lot of damage to people, but like, there's only so much you can do. Stabbing someone with a pole somewhere between 6 and 10 feet long, the potential for me to mess that up is way bigger, and I'm way more nervous about it going back. Because I don't have... You know, if I'm off a little bit on the sword, I might hit you in the neck instead of the, like, upper arm. If I'm off a little bit with the spear, I might stab you in the face. You're getting jacked up the nose right there, yeah. Yeah, it it, it does not take long. So, uh, I, I haven't done it as much as I should, but I am definitely playing around with it here and there to make sure that I still remember some of the basics, and I am doing some target practice. Well, don't worry. When we start up here, the first several practices, I'm pretty sure I am just going to enforce the single blue rule. 
we're just going to make sure that everybody knows what they're doing and we're going to hit those basics <laughs> and then when i know that the field is going to be clean and i know it's going to be safe we'll start introducing things like the face stabber i mean spear sorry spear <laughs> yes exactly uh the hopefully not space face stabber space stabber uh, <laughs> the the bright side Klingons. is i am not the only person yes exactly I'm not the only person that has expressed this concern, so I'm pretty sure we'll be like, oh my god, I'm sorry, being like, nah, man, I did this, to some, I'm, I'm out of practice too. Like, Right. <laughs> I'm not mad at I you. I forgot how to dodge. Yeah, right? So, fifth precept. Reveal your true self in combat. Dictum. The Shattered Mask. Warriors must venture into the labyrinth. Combat is the way, and at the center is the self. Discover and declare your truest self, that which lingers when everything else has been stripped away, beyond victory, beyond defeat, beyond every need and the satisfaction of every need. Having passed through the wastes, the desert sown with death, you must hold your banner high and unfurl it. There on the battlefield, shatter your mask, for it serves an obsolete purpose. By your warning, you have already made yourself plain. A warrior has no more secrets. Aru... <laughs> no that's i mean that's absolutely true the best fighters that i've seen they're, they're not necessarily it's there's no lie out there i mean mm -hmm. like when we first enter the field it's really easy for us to uh, kind of be held back by polite notions as it were because it, it's one of those like in, in most society we're taught not to hit people we're taught not to be aggressive in that way and so a lot of folks really struggle and revealing them, their true selves in combat because they're too caught up with trying to be nice, too caught up with trying to be polite. Now, I, again, this doesn't say be rude. That doesn't mean, you know, go out of your way to, to insult people, but they, you, know, you get caught up on yourself. You stand in your own way in that particular case. And so we can't hold anything back when we're doing this. It's one of those things where when you do show your true face, it is when you are trying for that win completely. And you're not thinking, we're, we're not thinking about the people looking at us from the side of the field. We're not thinking about what we're going to do after that particular fight or when we get home. We are right there and we are a warrior. There's also a moment of finding your true self in the face of battle where people really do show who they are as a person in a lot of ways. You know, um... When I see you fight, like the your own personal style, your own personal flares have developed through battle, through the adversity and stuff, uh, sure. and how it is is completely different than say, well, me or Turkey, who we're mentioning a lot because it turns out I haven't seen people outside of Stygia in a year and a half. <laughs> it's hard to talk about them. Or Stitch. Like, how Stitch moves is 100% different than I ever will. And it's not necessarily that he or I is better. He's better at sword fighting, but not the point. Uh, but that through our true selves, through our experience, our who we are has come out. I can see that. I can see that. I mean, like, me as a person, I wait until I see, like, a... a a good opportunity. I'll block and I'll block and I'll block and I'll wait until I see an opening and then I savage that opening. It's uh, mm -hmm. and I and I'm and I'm decently patient in uh, in in real life. I sit there and I wait for the opportunities, but when I see it, I seize it with my teeth. I tell you that right now. 
Well, what's fun is it kind of developed with our garb, too. Like, you hit, like, a truck, and you tend to be kind of quiet until the moment is there. You dress up in all black, but make sure it's an intimidating all black. I am there to be, like, well, I know I'm not stealthy, so I might as well own it. And I'm looking at the armor I made for this. It is seven different colors. Eight. Eight different colors. All right, Joseph. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Joseph. I see you. Oh man, my dream, my Technicolor dream coat is admittedly gorgeous, but <laughs> so uh, my first one, my not first one, my my story that I went with is to grip a weapon, and I'm pretty sure it's different than what you picked. I actually I was thinking about that one, and I was like, nah, I think I'm going to go with these other ones. So I'm glad I'm glad we chose separate ones. I'm curious because I almost went with another one, and I went, I bet Malark's going to pick that one. Well, we'll talk about it after it's wrong. So to grip a weapon is talking about how uh, a a warrior of Kaelas once said that he could tell the quality of a warrior simply by the manner in which he held the batleth. Now, if you know, the batleth is the kind of half moon sword that Klingons hold. And he's saying that if you're holding it, so the half moon is going up over your shoulder, which in some ways is like the most comfortable way to hold it, just thanks to like balance and stuff like that. He knows you're not a very good warrior. He doesn't have to worry about you. Because if you're going to go into a fight, you're going to have to stop, pull your batleth up, completely change the position you're holding it, like turn it around, and then attack. You're not ready for a fight. You're not that dangerous. If you're holding it the other way, so, you know, leaning against your shoulder still, but the blade side out, it's a little less comfortable to hold maybe that way, but you're ready for an attack immediately. Also, if you have, you know, the blade side in towards you, and this is a danger of any sword that you're leaning against you, it's basically... Oh, what's that term that we use where the sword is against you and the sword gets hit and you anviling? Anviling, yeah. God, I'm out of practice. It's like anviling. You know, if someone walks up and you've got that blade against you and they kind of like smack the backside, you got to cut yourself. Right. I mean, even even a real blade would be like that. If you were if you're sitting there and you're holding your blade against, if we're holding our blade against ourselves because we're fearful to extend it too far, and somebody smacks it, we're gonna. I mean, even a real blade, we're gonna stab ourselves. And like he was saying the other way, if you're propping it up on your shoulder, and and just kind of looking cool, well, that's that's not really effective either. You're just kind of we're just kind of chilling there and standing. An amateur posing might look intimidating until you know what you're doing. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's very much it. Like, I, I know that there were many, many members of Stygia who perhaps watched a little bit too much anime before they came out on the field, <laughs> and they would strike the most ridiculous poses. The most. Uh, because, of course, they'd seen it and they thought it was intimidating, but it was... These, most of these poses were completely ill-suited to actual combat. They took so long to get out and into a real ready position that by that point you were you were dead. I mean, you looked cool, I guess, but you were dead. Yeah, but you know what's even cooler? Winning. Exactly. So a real warrior holds their weapon out in front of them in like a ready stance. You're ready to fight, right? What about you? What was your story? My story was strength from weakness. Oh, not the one I expected. Well, 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 well. I still surprise you, sir. <laughs> so strength from weakness is, is a lot, it, it's a lot like what it sounds like. 
You know, just because you're weak, just because we aren't as strong as we would like to be, doesn't mean that we cannot get there through diligent practice. Because two people who are strong fighting each other, that is, that is glory. That is an awesome time. If people are evenly matched and both really into the fight, that's, that's a really, really good fight. So, I mean, it's the same thing with 40k. If your opponent knows their army and you know your army and you're both playing wisely, that's a good time. That is a good time right there. But how do, you, how do we get to that place? Well, uh, Kalis offers a story in that regard. Uh, there, there is a, a pair of siblings, a brother and a sister. And the brother, when he's younger, is larger, more powerful, and more combat-oriented. His sister is smaller and weaker and doesn't really know that much about combat. And so he doesn't try very hard. You know, he just kind of goes around and uses the, the talent that was afforded to him by luck, by genetics, and, and uses those to win, but doesn't really work at it. He doesn't really dedicate himself to the craft. The sister, on the other hand, she's going nuts. She works out every day. She's fighting every day. She's looking to improve herself constantly. And so eventually, you know, they come together and they have to fight, but she wins. She wins. And again, it's not because of any other reason other than she was the one practicing. She was the one who was familiar with the most forms of combat and had really wanted it. She actually had the real strength. He was born with the ability, but what she worked for was real strength. The, you see this all the time on the field. Either two people who both showed up at the same time and it clicks with one person earlier than the other, or someone yeah. who started a little bit earlier than the other person, so they, you know, they're at 5% when the other person's at zero, and mm -hmm. they they kind of lean on that. Like, oh, I know one. And I, I have done this too, I should say that. I'm not just... Uh, I, I know what I'm doing, and then the first time that the other person who has had to work for it and work for it and work for it, suddenly they're the one that knows what they're doing. It is one of my favorite moments to see in Belagarth. Like, I just, I live for that. It challenges you. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a pretty sweet sensation. And this weakness idea actually ties in to our next precept as well, which is destroying weakness. Or actually, no, d destroy weakness. It's just straight up destroy weakness. So the dictum is the endless vigil. Warriors must watch with vigilance. A warrior's first quarry is within. Frailties of the spirit, flaws that gnaw at resolve. These are more treacherous than a deceitful friend, more wounding than a mate's betrayal. Your weakness is more powerful than your enemy's strength. At the crux of danger, weakness emerges from the heart like a beast from its lair. Your weakness will choke your courage, blind your valor, and smother your will where it sleeps. Harden your heart and make it like the stony ground, inhospitable to weakness. Stalk weakness tirelessly. Slay it without mercy. Dishonor comes not from weakness, but from sheltering weakness and looking on while it multiplies, which it will always. There's a piece of advice that I always give fighters when they reach a point where they're getting stuck, and they're like, man, I just don't know how to fight reds, or I just don't know how to fight spears, or literally any style. Oh, I just don't know. Or even just, I don't know how to fight this person. I'm like, well, go spar with them directly. Right. Or go pick up a red. Let's go work with some spear. Go use a spear for a while. You are actively destroying weakness. You are taking this thing that, oh man, I am struggling here. And you are confronting it head on. 
in this case by using the thing that you're struggling against so you learn your strengths and weaknesses but it's uh it, it's not enough just to work to get better it's also important to look at what you were bad at and challenge that directly sure sure and one of the one of the earliest weaknesses that I see in any sort of wargaming is the flinch. When somebody makes a move and it causes the other person to stutter. In the case of a physical wargaming, actually to flinch, to you know, close your eyes and draw away slightly. It happens in 40k too, where there's a particularly strong attack and your person just gets tilted immediately. This flinch is because we fear loss. We fear physical injury. And so, like, I, I used to flinch when I first got into to physical wargaming. I flinched. Absolutely. Somebody would throw a shot and I'd, oh, you know, just tense up all of a sudden. The way I got over that, though, was I realized that the reason I flinched was because I was afraid of getting hit. So I just, I went and got hit constantly. I went and fought people who hit me hard and would level me on the ground. But every time I got up, I was proving to myself that I was not made of glass. And it broke my flinch. Eventually, it was one of those things of like, it hit me, I don't care. <laughs> you know? The other one I notice a lot is almost the exact opposite, and it's not the flinch from yourself, but that hesitation to throw the shot because you're worried you're going to hurt somebody. Sure. And you're making a weakness right there because you're not throwing the shot you need to throw, or you're not putting the power you need to throw into that shot. Uh, right, and right. the way you do that, you throw a bunch of shots, and you don't mm -hmm. break people and then you realize it will be okay. Or you do break people and you feel really bad about it and it takes a while to get over that. And then learn not to do it. But yeah, like, don't break people. You mean please. don't use a super top-heavy weapon with basically nothing but shaft that hits people and hurts? What are you saying? Like, that was... That long blue was my favorite, Thumbs. That was my favorite. And yes, it hurt a lot of people. I felt bad about that. <laughs> and I saw what it did to your elbows. In the long run, that hurt you more than it hurt it. You, that that was a different uh, <laughs> precept. I got some wicked scorpion wraps out of that, though. You, you gotta admit that. I helped you make the thing. I'm at least as guilty as you are. Um... It was a monstrosity. Just a crime against nature. It was like a, not minimum striking surface, but close to minimum striking surface, long bat. So it was just mostly half padding, and it's before we upgraded the half padding rules. So it was... So it was basically just core with, like, some cloth. <laughs> <laughs> so bean. Um, uh, what, what's your story here? Well, my story for destroying weakness was the will to remain. The wish to remain? The wish, to, yeah, that one. The wish to remain, not the will Sorry. to remain. That's that's Go the ahead. wrong concept. What what was what was yours? Just out of curiosity, you have the same one. Honestly, yes, the wish to remain. Although I have another one I can talk right about. Right on. So that's it's a good one though. Um, it, it basically tells the story of early on in the Klingon uh, history, they were ascending to the space. They were finally getting uh, to, off the planet and starting to expand when the. Herc? Is that, is that the right word? Herc? The Herc. It's a Klingon word for outsider. Like, the attack was so hardcore that they permanently changed their language. So yeah, the Herc um, came and they destroyed cities and they destroyed fleets and they they rendered the, the Klingon military and society basically down to nothing. Just really wiped them out. And it would have been really easy at that point for the Klingons to say, you know what? Space is awful. We don't want to go there anymore. We're going to chill out here on our planet. We're going to have our culture, but we're not really going to go out there and challenge that anymore. They could have done that, but they didn't. 
they got right back up and they decided to go out and try again. And uh, by the time that you know Star Trek was a thing, the Klingons were one of the most powerful species in the galaxy. So there's a good lesson here, which is to say, don't, we should not enable weakness in ourselves. but the idea of, of, if you get knocked down 10 times, you get up 11, right? The first time I ever rode, not ever rode, the first time I crashed a motorcycle, which was pretty early on, and I was only going about 10 miles an hour, so it was not a, uh, it was not a big deal. It would have been very easy for me to be done. Right. And I mean, it was just driving down the street, like, you know, in a, in the suburbs, it was nothing. But it would have been so easy for me to be like, well, that was scary, that's not for me. And there are things that that's been true with for me over the years. But, because I didn't do that, I am now on to my third motorcycle in my life. Uh, and I have, I you know, I have loose plans to set up, like, a real motorcycle eventing trip with people from different realms joining me kind of thing. Right on. Uh, very loose plans, but like that wouldn't have been an option if I hadn't gotten up and done it again. If I had just let the Herc or the motorcycle beat me. That was the same one that I went with, but I will talk about another one just because I really liked it anyways. Chagran and the Fleet. So after this big like, what do we do? The Herc took us out. Like, do we, you know, should we attack? Should we not attack? Should we stay on on Kronos? Chagran decides that they're not going to stay on Kronos, and he builds this big fleet, and he goes out into the stars to uh, prove the power of the Klingons, and he's never seen again. Just disappears. It would have been so easy for them to be like, okay, see, now we know it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's happened twice. But instead, right. they were like, look at how brave Chagran was. Look at how honorable he was. He risked it. We don't know what happened. Also, now they have the fun mystery of going to find Chagran. And uh, we actually find out at the end of this that it turns out that they did find Chagran's fleet crashed later on. And they found records that he was actually planning to use this fleet to conquer Kronos. He, he was oh. like, yes, I'm going to go fight the invaders with this fleet of warships. Well, I'll be back in a day to totally not conquer, and then instead. But because <laughs> he had spent so long, like, because he had been an example to Klingons for so long, the myth has become more important than the man, and, like, sure. Grand it continues to inspire generations of Klingons to go out into space, to, to go risk and face the weakness that is inherent. I dig that. And again, these stories kind of are, are very much the same, which is to say, you know, just because something is challenging, just because something uh, is hard for us to begin with, doesn't mean it's it's not something we should do. Doesn't mean, like, I, I don't know, the things that I've had to try the hardest at in my life have become the most fulfilling. Fighting, for instance, I talk often about the fact that my first six years or so were spent terrible. Just awful. Pretty darn terrible. <laughs> And then, I, I, you know, sorry, I said point, just awful, like being like, yes, you were really bad. But no, I was thinking of myself there. Um, I am awful. Thumbs thinks so, too. <laughs> Since the guy is about six out of ten when we fight. Um, but <laughs> anyways, but yeah, it, it, the idea is that we got to keep getting up. If I would have let those early losses, that early uh, discouragement 
actually keep me from going out and fighting. I mean, I, I broke things too. Like I busted my thumb and had to take a math test with a, my thumb taped up to the rest of my hand. And at that point, it would have been pretty easy to be like, you know what, this is, this is pretty tough. I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm glad I stuck with it because I have so many good people in my life that I wouldn't have met. And I have a, a, a community that I can depend on that I wouldn't have had before. So, you know, sticking with something can be a good thing. Obviously, there's some situations that we want to get out of, but you know, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's a good reason to quit. Yes, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. So what do the Klingons say about leaving things till tomorrow? They, they don't, they're not a fan. The seventh okay. precept. Okay. Leave nothing until tomorrow. Well, all right. <laughs> Dictum, the hidden serpent. Warriors must kill the snakes that lie in wait. These are the tasks left unfinished. The challenges left unmet. Ignored, they grow. Forgotten, they attack. They lurk and wait to seize their chance. What warriors begin, they must finish. Half done is undone. Every problem without a resolution, every question without its answer, is a debt in life's ledger. A debt that becomes greater the longer it remains. A warrior's drive to reach the end of every battle must be unflinching, for every goal not yet achieved is abominable. Kill the serpents that would kill you first. Hits. As I sit here surrounded by half-finished art projects, I'm feeling super called out right now. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> My type A personality is buzzing with this one, by the way. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, a, it's a solid thing, which is to say, obviously, it, it deals with procrastination. And it deals with the idea of, oh, sure, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll work out tomorrow. I'll eat right tomorrow. I'll actually go and train tomorrow. Yeah, the thing about tomorrow is it never actually comes. All we ever have is today, because you know what? When we wake up, it's going to be today. And the next time we wake up, it'll also be today. So really, the only day we have is today. This was before we started recording, but we've already made Rent jokes today, and now I literally have a song from Rent stuck in my head after that sentence. No day um, but today. today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, I need to watch Rent again. It's good, bro. It's good. One of the characters, the the blonde recorder guy, is in Star Trek Discovery. So you know, he's good. I mean, yeah, I, he's really, great. That whole cast. He's a Star Trek. It's connected. It totally counts. Um. No, but I dig this one too because it's also about seeking resolution. You know, if there if if you've got beef with 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 somebody that you need to quash, like somebody who's vital to your life. I like it, for instance, in my marriage. I'm going to go a little personal here. In my marriage, I don't like to leave things unsaid because every every relationship has its rough spots. You always have your disagreements. It's, you're two people together. It's going to happen. But I don't like to go to bed without having resolution because who knows? Who knows if it's just going to become a grudge or a resentment in the future? I don't know that. I would rather have resolution now. And you know, some things need to be slept on. I'm not saying absolutely everything, but by and large. It's not like, and this is true with friendships too, not just with your intimate partners, but also with your friendships. You have been one of my closest friends since I was 15. And part of the reason we've been able to pull that off is not that we don't fight, but when you and I fight, we will then deal with whatever we were fighting about. Yeah. Like you and I will scrap sometimes. Then afterwards we'll be like, okay. That's out of our systems a little bit. How you doing? Do you need anything? Kind of. Do you do you watch? I, I don't know if you watch shonen anime. Do you watch much shonen anime? Uh, it depends on the anime. Which one are you thinking of? 
Well, there's just a common trope in Shonen where your rival is also kind of your best friend. I'm, I'm watching Haikyuu right now, and these two guys are like, you would think that they hate each other, but they actually are, are like really good friends and they challenge one another to be better, and sometimes that results in some sparks. But it, this, this idea of a really good friend who's also a rival, who's also somebody that you can pitch yourself against, yeah, I don't mind that. That's actually, that, again, that's a common trope, not just in anime, but also throughout history. That's a, a fairly a fairly good thing to have a rival. Honestly, you and I have sort of been that to each other over the years sometimes. Like, you've been my yeah. bell rival. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's what I'm saying. But we were also good buddies. So, like, yeah, there's there's nothing contradictory about it. It actually fits in very well with the genre. But on a much, like, closer to actual wargaming level, this does fit even on the field, you know? Leave nothing until tomorrow. If I have pushed Turkey off of my line, but I haven't killed him off, I can't really just be like, eh, I'll deal with it later. I'm going to go deal with this. Yeah, no, that's dangerous. Like, it's that's, yeah. that, that's going to get you killed. Um, I, mm-hmm. I swear, there are more people in this realm than you, me, and Turkey, but apparently he's our talkie guy today. Uh, <laughs> Well, we've we've seen each other the most recently. I, I see you on the old video chat. You've seen him. I've seen him. So it's like, you know, what is it? Um, out of sight, out of mind. Someone else shows up and we're like, more people exist. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Who are you? <laughs> you know, hes- hesitating to take the shot. I have lost... I have lost us realm battles I was in charge of. I have lost unit battles I've been in charge of. I've lost my team when they listened to me just on normal, like, pickup fights because I hesitated about a thing. Which kind of ties into the one that I chose here. Uh, the Tyrant's Son. I chose the same one, but yeah. Perfect. <laughs> That's a good Perfect. one. But you tell it. You tell it. So there's a tyrant on this island who rules with an iron fist, but he rules strongly and decisively. And he's a tyrant, but he's a tyrant that follows Klingon honor, so I guess that's okay in Klingon world. Sure. But his son takes over, and his son is not good. His son has not earned the same kind of rights and respect and stuff, but he, he the, the only thing the son really has to say for himself is, I am the son of the tyrant. Now, there's a right. general who thinks that he should be the new tyrant instead of the sun. But he waits because he knows that the sun will eventually reveal himself to have no honor and that will be his moment to strike. And this ends up working out for him. Like, it seems like this is the right path to go because eventually the sun does reveal himself to be absolutely terrible, according to this story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he eventually calls him out after everyone already hates him. So see, you have proven your perfectry. Like, uh, you know, die, villain. Klingon style, the general becomes the new tyrant. Kalos comes to this general, tyrant, tyrant general, and <laughs> says, you know, help, I'm, I'm fighting Molor, this Klingon, this other, like, larger scale Klingon tyrant. I am trying to unite the Klingon Empire. I am trying to bring us to the ways of honor. You should side with me. And this tyrant general goes, no. Like, later, sure, but it's not the right moment right now. There will be a better time, and Kales is like, no, I need your help. He's like, nah, I'll wait till a better time. This, this is a little too risky for me, I'll hold off. But because he holds off, 
his ally gets destroyed. Not Kaelas, but like Kaelas's army. Right. And suddenly he doesn't have this ally, and Molor is there able to just crush him. Right. Because he waited too long, because he didn't seize the opportunity when it arrived, and suddenly there weren't there wasn't the other opportunity again later that he expected to have. Now this is a very good cautionary tale against that hesitation again. Like hesitation can be more dangerous than making the wrong move. You know, joining up with Kalis may have been the wrong move. Maybe they would have still been crushed. Maybe that, that rebellion would have still gone off wrong. But at least he would still have those those allies. At least he would still have those connections and that support network to kind of come back from it. As he was, he was isolated. He he made no friends on either side. And that, uh, well, yeah, that's that's not a good place to be. Well, and he would have had a better chance. Like, that's kind of the big thing. Like, oh, I, uh, I'll wait. I'm sure there'll be better later. It's like... You used to play Final Fantasy, right? Oh, yeah. Years back? Oh, Were yeah. you one of the people who never used the Phoenix down because I might need it later? I might need to come back to life in a bigger battle? No, I used it constantly. Okay, so my example does not work at all for you. But uh, <laughs> in, in a video game, when you're like, man, I only have this one item now, but what if I need it more later? If you keep doing that, you're just never going to use the item. You know, I, right. I, I led people into a fight at Thawbrawl one year. I was, for whatever reason, the realm decided they were following me. And I could have picked a fight with the BOF, and I probably would have died, but might not have. Could have gone up against that realm that was mostly Horde over there. But sure. I, I hesitated, because I wasn't sure. Was that the right thing? Because then what if the BOF comes up on me? In the end, I got stuck between the two, and we all died. And like... Man, it yeah. might not have worked before, but it sure would have at least felt cooler than, whoops, I'm stuck between these two big groups. Guess I'll die. Yeah. Well, we've discussed that before. Like, if there's if there's big players on the field, it is good to band together with other smaller players in order to give yourself a fighting chance. This whole idea of being prideful and standing on one's own, uh, it's great in theory, but in practice, it mostly gets you deadified. So what's our next preset, boss? Well, speaking of, of deadified, <laughs> we're, we're discussing the precept of choose death over chains. And our dictum here is the broken cage. Warriors must hate above all the cages that constrain them. Imprisoned, a warrior finds everything precious taken from him, he, his will thwarted. And without the power to do one's will, one cannot be free. Captivity is a shameful state that must be resisted, for imprisonment is a twilight existence whereas, wherein all needs go unmet, all desires unfulfilled. The captive lives at another's pleasure, and never his own. A prisoner does not hold the deed to his own life. Though some cages are constructed by circumstance and not by mansions and smiths, and though they exist only within the mind, these too must be broken. Anything that would confine your will must not remain. No gods, no masters. <laughs> right? I mean, kind of boiled down. But yeah, again, the, I, I, I like this. I think this is, it's fairly simple, but it's the idea of, you know, I'm, I'm never going to allow myself to be captured. Uh, even if I'm standing there on the field and there's 10 people against me, I, I could easily put my sword over my head and say, you know what, I, I don't want to play no more. You guys win. But I am denying myself my freedom 
in that particular case. I am saying, you know what, I'm surrendering my will to theirs. I am, I am looking at their size and letting that dictate my actions. I have let my enemy put me in a cage. It is another case, and a lot of these really come down to, if you take it outside of wargaming, live true to oneself. Yeah. And I think that's very much, again, the case here. You are a warrior. Be true to who you are. Be true to what you are. I don't know if I have anything too wild to say about this one, though, because, as you said, it's pretty simple, and it kind of... We, we've kind of covered stuff before, but I do... I just like it. Choose death over chains sounds cool. Like... And it's it, it's it's literal and figurative chains, like, and not necessarily death. But uh, you know, I, I often look at my own life and I, I see the constraints that I put on myself. I see the the figurative chains that are draped across me, and I when I notice them, I try to break them. I do not enjoy being constrained by by something that is not my will. Now, if I'm being constrained by myself because I think that that's the prudent action, that's that's one thing. But if I feel constantly repressed by my environment well it's time to break it at that point for years I said oh I just can't arch I just can't battle arch and man I'm still awful at it but like I was just starting to look into it right when quarantine hit so when I'm coming back uh, I'm not dealing with the chains of oh I just don't know how to arch I might not ever be amazing at it but I will not live with just that idea anymore. Break those chains, my man. Break those chains. What uh, what story did you choose this time? Okay, so this is... I mean, I'm generally pretty good at pronouncing Klingon, for the most part, but I am 100% guessing with part of this. I'm just getting that out there. I went with Lucara and Kumul, which is spelled Q-U-M-W-L. Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Put a sock in your mouth, you could say it better. Well, they have all of those fake pointy teeth that they have to wear while talking, so it just... That's a good point, that's a good point. <laughs> Lady Lucara is the infamous mate of Kales, to the point that they battle 500 people together alone and win, and it's considered the greatest Klingon romance of all time. We're gonna kill 250 people each and then get married. It's great. Uh, That's pretty neat, yeah. That's a heck of a reception right there. But it turns out that the Lady Lucara was married when she first met Kalos. But she wasn't in love with the person she married. Uh, his his name was Kumul. The union of these two noble families, but not high-ranking families, brought the court up of a leader named Black, B-L-A-Q. It, it made it made sense for them to do it, but there wasn't any, like, deep love going down there. Right. But when Lucara meets Kalos and goes through this experience, she's like, man, I, I gotta be with that guy. And so she goes up to Block and she says, here's your choices. You can either let me divorce Kumul and break free of this chain of this loveless marriage that happened for political reasons and be with Kalos... Or you can let me commit Maktovor, which is a Klingon ritual suicide that restores honor that might be lost. Very Japanese, like Very early like, Japanese. Uh, samurai Japanese. Not current Japanese, but like samurai stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
my honor was lost, but I can commit mock tovor and regain honor in death. Instead of living an honorless life. Block was like, well, you guys just killed 500 people together, so I don't really want to mess with you. And Kumbul yeah. went, holy crap, you just killed 500 people. Like, same thing, basically. And went, oh, man, and you're super in love with him, and I don't really care about you either. Like, do it. Be free of your chains. Your chains being me. Now, admittedly, part of the reason I like this is because um, I, I never really thought of, like, the Klingons as being, like, a pro-divorce culture before or something like that. Like, this is this is kind of a woman's rights story in its own way in there. Yeah, which yeah for sure. entertains me. No, I dig that. Yeah, it, it is a good story. And, and again, it's about breaking those chains and, and doing what you want to do or being with who you want to be with. Um, and my story was much shorter. Again, it's it's I like these, these kind of short precepts in here because they're very interesting to me. Uh, the Warrior's Calling is the one that I chose. And it's very simple. It basically says that you know, victory, if, if we go down to the field, we're warriors. We're there to commit war. Whether it's physical or intellectual gaming, that is why we're there. We are there to either play Warhammer or to do Belagarth, but the whole point is that we have come for that purpose. And in that purpose, obviously, victory is awesome. But even if we're defeated, when we give our all, when we really dedicate ourselves to it, there's still honor in defeat. You can be, like, I, I've definitely played against people where I've won and said, you gave me a run for my money right up until the very end. And I may have won, but it was by the skin of my teeth, and I respect you. I really respect you. The best fights are when you finish and both of you kind of look at each other and you're like, that was awesome! Yeah. So, obviously, that's what we're going for. That's what we're striving for. So why would we surrender? Why would we ever allow ourselves to be captured? Why would we ever willingly leave that? Because we came for it. We came for it. So remember what we came for and, and you know, continue with it, basically, is, is what I took from that. It's the warrior's calling. We are, we are called to this, so follow through. A friend of mine, when they were a squire, was given the command that they always had to ask, do you yield after they liked somebody? Hmm. And it was meant from a it was meant from a good place, like, the, but right. but it drove me up a wall. Because I'm like, of course I don't yield. Am I dead? No. And like, I'll admit it. There are days where I'm like, I'm just not gonna take legs today. I'm might be tired, sore, my leg hurts, whatever. But like, my knees are going out. Yeah, the older I get, the the more I understand. Do you yield when someone gets knee legged? But um, yes. <laughs> but still, for the most part, I'm like, no, I don't yield. I'm in it to win it. I might not, but I'm gonna give it a shot. Right. You can't win what you don't try. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I, 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 that's a that's a good takeaway from this. However, I feel like the next precept is actually extremely similar, almost almost like the exact same thing, but slightly a different take. We're reaching that point in the book that we hit with all of these, where they're starting to get to the like roundup takes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now let's review where we were. Ninth precept: die standing up. I don't know why I did it in that voice. I'm so sorry. I, um. But it was very amusing. <laughs> Dictum. The unbowed warrior. Warriors must die as they lived and live as they will die. 
A good death is the summit of a life lived to the last moment. As the sea churns, as the storm roars, so warriors meet their ends. They do not bargain, they do not plead. They ask for nothing and concede the same. Death cannot unmake the life a warrior has wrought. When they die, for die they must. They tear themselves from life, every strand at once, always mindful of the mandate under which they etch their names into the tablets of their time. Stand upright, as a warrior stands. Die tired. <laughs> I say, give it your give it your best. And again, this is very similar, very similar to the last one we did. I, in fact, a lot of the notes I have, I'm looking at it, and I was like, I could have confused these two sections, and both of them would have been equally true <laughs> for both of them. Would have just worked. Yeah, again, that idea of give, you're giving up all chance of victory. Any time that we just concede before the end of the match, I, there's been Warhammer matches that I was convinced I was going to lose. But I was like, you know what, I'm just going to play this out. I want to see where it goes. And just, you know, maybe learn from it. And then, you know, either through a twist of fate or doing the right thing at the right time, I pulled a victory. I mean, it was as much a surprise to me as it was to my opponent. I mean, the same thing has happened in physical wargaming. I've gone up against somebody, you know, Gallen. I went up against Gallen when I was fairly young, and he's one of the best left-handed sword fighters there is. And, uh... Yeah, I gave it my all, and there was, and, and you know, the first couple of times he destroyed me, I had this image in my mind of him as just like godlike. Mm -hmm. So I went up against him in a in a tournament, and there was a part of me that was like, "You're gonna lose, dude," but I was like, "No, I got to at least try." And it just so happened that we moved in such a way that I caught him in the armpit, and I was, uh, and we were both like, "What?" <laughs> but I wouldn't have gotten that if I was just like, "Oh, I'm gonna lose," and didn't and didn't do anything, you know? Yeah, you land the shot. I mean, you don't land the shots. You don't throw. Uh, right, right. It makes me think of you. You said "die tired," which is funny because one thing your war master used to say to me and to people around was basically "don't die tired," which was uh, running. Ma uh, when someone would bolt, he would just say, "running makes you die tired." I I disagree with my war master on that. That's the nice thing about our line is each successive line gets their own take on everything. And I I shortened because he says, uh, you know, if you run, you die tired. I shortened it just. You know, only die tired. You know, die tired. That's yes, the, but kind of coming idea. from it from a different way still, because what he means is, I mean, there are times where the tactical retreat is the way to go. Oh, it's yeah. a tactical retreat. But the people that would drive your war master and me up a wall were the people that would just bolt. Not a tactical right. retreat. They tried to flee, but, you know, there's the edge of the world. They're just trying to live as yeah. long as they can as opposed to standing up. You know, at the end of the day, it's relatively new guy number seven versus me and Warmaster Vallis. Like, that's not a... That's not a fight you can really run from if you have a way that you can, like, pick us apart or whatever. But if you're just bolting, it's no good. You're not dying standing up there. No. You might lose against us. You'll probably right. lose against us. But you will learn and you will make us work for it. Also, I'll be less annoyed mm -hmm. when I finally run you down. And that's true. And that's kind of what I mean by die tired. It's not It's not the opposite of what my war master meant, but it's like, you should be giving your all. If you don't die tired. No. What I love is it's kind of the same message, but from, like, completely different, like, you're really intense, and he and I share that kind of uh, grumpy old man way of doing things. Ah, uh, don't make me run. Come on, man. <laughs> Die tired. 
So my story from this one is the fortress at Kavarin. Okay. Kalos fails multiple times in his attempts to take down Molorn. But he gets back up and he keeps trying and he keeps fighting. And eventually he has reached the point where the army, his army, is overthrowing Molor's troops. Where he steps into the Great Hall and all that's left is him and Molor. And Molor is standing on the, phone, on the throne holding his Tickleth, which is kind of a, a spear-like weapon. While Kalos is using the first Batleth that he created from a lock of his own hair in the, like, Klingons don't have gods, but they super have gods sort of way. And Molor says, you know, all right, man, you may have won, but I'm not surrendering to you. I'm not giving in. I'm not saying you were right. I'm going to die on my feet trying to stab you with my spear. I will I will die as I lived facing mm-hmm. you. And Kalos laughs and he goes, you just proved all of my stuff right. You are standing and dying in honorable combat. You you live in a world... I loved this line. You say you reject my teachings, yet you face me as a warrior. You revel in glory and fight to the death rather than surrender to a foe who has declared himself your enemy. You already live in a world changed, Molor. And then he finishes with, Enough. The time for words is past. Face me with that foolish weapon of yours and let's end this. Which brings me to my story, which is the two victories a kind of continuation of that one. Um, and, and for this one, we can, we can kind of analyze these at the end, but I thought it was kind of cool that we chose the back-to-back ones. Mm-hmm. No, no, go. So it talks about the battle between Molor and Kalis. And it, it was, it raged for days. Days. And the people were watching. And at one point it would seem like Molor was winning and sometimes Kalis was winning, but they both fought doggedly. And eventually, it was starting to look like Kalis might lose. He was, he was really damaged. He was very much injured. But he managed to hold out his strength and continue fighting, and eventually decapitated Molor. Now, in this way, Kalis won two victories. One of them was won over his opponent, Molor. But in the same token, this was the last chapter of uniting the Klingons into one solid, cohesive government. So he won two victories, one against an opponent, and one for the Empire. Living true to yourself helps in beyond just the immediate moment. And living true to yourself lets you... One of the earlier precepts was uh, pick your enemies well. If you pick an enemy that follows the ninth precept, if they live true to themselves, if they die standing up, then you have picked an enemy well. Yeah. Because even though Kalis and Malor may have disagreed on doctrinal issues and may have been against one another politically, that fight was epic. Both of them died standing up. Like, even though Malor didn't necessarily abide by Kalis's teachings, both of them, I mean, it's, it's the reason they had such a good fight. Neither of them was willing to give in. Neither of them was willing to, to surrender and die while, like, laying down. Even up to his death, Molor was standing, right up until he was decapitated. So that's honorable. Even though he fell, even though he was what was standing in the way of the Empire, we can still respect him for being at least an honorable combatant. He followed the ways of honor. He just was really mad when people talked about it specifically. Right. That but Kalis be... was constantly looking here for ways to turn the tide. You know, it, 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 he never lost hope. That would be the most annoying thing. 
being like, What's no, that? I'm not dealing with your stupid honor, Kaelas. Go on your way. Uh, you live your life. I'll live mine. You won't stop me. And Kaelas being like, ha ha. I got you. You're... It's kind of the, like, I'm not touching you of the Klingons. Like, you're doing my thing anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you said you did not like it, but here you are doing the thing. So yeah, you, you can't, we, again, these two, these last two ones, or you can't win a, a battle that you don't fight. So our last precept here is to guard honor above all. The dictum, the highest peak. Warriors must climb. When they crest the mountain of honor, all is plain. The pitfalls and the perils, the sheer faces and dead drops, every possibility of success and failure. The way is clear. Through it winds and double backs, those at the top can see as though it were lit by a flame. This is the advantage honor bestows, a clarity of vision, a bearing unshakable as the roots of the mountains. The honorable see, they understand. All is before them, spread out like the tumbled land before the towering peaks, scaling the cliff demands strength, will, and courage. And it exacts a toll of sweat, blood, and pain. But standing at the utmost height of honor, a warrior has conquered demons. There's a thought that I have sometimes, that I've had a few times, where I'm like, well, I achieved this. What now? Where do I go next? And for me... It's often not the combat stuff as well. I'm I'm a decent fighter. I I make people work for it, but I'm I'm okay. But you know, I became a squire. Cool, that was exciting. That's something I always wanted to achieve. What next? I became a realm leader. I became a knight. I became a member of the board of directors. There's a, there's always that like I have accomplished this thing and that's great. Now what? What next? Right. Uh, and I've admittedly been thinking about this more often lately, having been like, all right, I am a member of the BOD. I have done this. What next? And I don't have an answer for that one yet. But I will. Like, I will have something that I will strive for next. And it might be a combat thing. It might be getting more involved in running an event in a way that I am happy with. Uh, it, it might be... God, I have no idea. Which is kind of exciting on its own run. Like, it, it, it's kind of fun to be like, all right, I've, I've achieved that goal. I, yeah, what now? Well, it's the idea of not resting on one's past laurels. There are, mm -hmm. there are so many, uh, you know, tired old quarterbacks that were great in high school. They may have been top of their game. Everybody loved them. They got invited to the, to the parties. The cheerleaders were all over them or whatever the case may be. And then they got done and they didn't do anything else. And so then you see them and they're, you know, the stereotypical dude sitting in a, uh, you know, a, an A-shirt, drinking beer, watching TV, just kind of sour about life, but always going on about, oh, do you remember that one touchdown that I made? Or do you remember that, that one game that we won? Wasn't that cool? It's like, dude, that was 20 years ago. What have you done lately? So we have to continue striving forward. We have to continue uh, attempting to achieve something because resting on one's past laurels will be forgotten, and then we become artifacts. Yeah, the I think if I ever discover myself being an artifact, that's the day it's time for me to retire from the game. For sure. Um, and I mean, I There's just hope I... There's nothing worse than irrelevance. <laughs> and I just hope I have the awareness 
of being like, oh. But, you know, also, I don't see that happening anytime soon, because what's next? And there's a lot of ways to give back. Like, even, like, I, I talk often about this older fella there in Durdemarion who was in a very accomplished fighter in his day. He was one of the founding members of the triad. And... I, did, I didn't necessarily know him as that. He was just an older fellow who came up and provided excellent advice to me. He didn't fight very much. He just, he just hung around and waited to kind of help people out. And the advice he gave me was huge. He changed my game with just a, a little 10-minute chat. So even if I can provide a little bit of that, even if I get to a point where I'm no longer relevant on the field, you know, I think we can still be relevant as teachers. Oh, yeah. Share some of that knowledge that we've accumulated over, God, decades. <laughs> decades and many failures. Yeah. Uh, and many successes. Speaking of which, which, which uh, one did you choose, by the way? Warriors in Truth. Yeah, me too. It's a good one, right? I love this one. Uh, I told the last one. You told this one. All right, on. So this one, it's, it's talking about honorable behavior. And that's... Again, warriors tell the truth. We are not seen as honorable if we don't tell the truth. That's deception. And deception can be a stone that weighs us down. The truth sets us free. You don't have to worry about it. If we get tangled into a web of lies, you have to worry about what you told who and who's talking to who, and there's so many different convoluted strings. The truth, bam, just shatters all of that. The truth just, just sets us all free. So he says not to live in the lies in the first place. It, it, it impedes us from actually being able to achieve things. However, there is an exception. He says children lie. And children's lies are the perfect lies because they serve as a learning opportunity. For instance, he says when he was younger, he and his brother were out fighting. And of course, that's what brothers do, especially Klingon brothers. And they were fighting and they broke this, this sculpture, this amazing, valuable sculpture that the family honored above most other things. And when questioned about it, they both told their parents that it was their pet who broke it. And it was not until later that Kalis looked back and reflected on that and knew that he had made a mistake and knew that he should have done differently and, and rather dedicated himself to pursuing a life free of that. And so he, he, again, he says that children's mistakes are perfect because they make mistakes out of innocence and, we can, and they can learn from them. You know, children's lies are perfect because then they can learn from them. And even as we age and even as we grow, we have to continue learning from our mistakes. That's the only way that we come to understand our place. That's the only way that we can advance. I describe sometimes teenagers as they're still figuring out how to be people. Like, they're I still figuring that. out how to people. Uh, and there will be points where you see that they're getting it and it's great and they're amazing to be around. And then there's moments where it's going wrong and they're not sure why, but oftentimes they're a little aware that it's going wrong and you can just see them getting frustrated. And it's because they haven't figured out how to people in the way they need to people right there. Right, right. Um, I think the the thing that, the, the two things that struck me about this, one is I think it's more important, as you said, to think of it as like mistakes as opposed to lies. I mean, lies too. But for right. wargaming... For wargaming, making a mistake or making a bad choice is more likely to come up with than telling a lie. At least, hopefully. Right. It should, uh, right. But, let them... Let them make that stupid sword. Let them try the hammer. Let them play with the axe. You used that big red double-sided axe for years. I and have I was rancid with it. 
Yes, but you learned. You made that I mistake. Did. You let you were allowed to find yourself and figured out what worked for you. Uh, I have made fun of weapons in retrospect that I really wish I hadn't. Not because they weren't dumb, but because I made someone feel bad when they were a child making mistakes. Right. A Belagarth child, but still. You know, we used to be like, oh, don't use quarterstaffs. I know someone. Sir Acrid, out in, uh, I think he's in Vegas, he took all the stuff of, like, the weapons that you can't use to learn how to fight, and he uses a crossbow a lot, and he uses a, uh, a, a quarterstaff a lot, and he's dangerous. Yeah. No, I know somebody similar. Uh, Talon, out of uh, Durdamarian, is, is very much the same. He, uh, he's, he's uh, one of those folks who, when I went and met him, I was, I was kind of talking. I was kind of talking some smack, and I was like, well, there's no way that a quarterstaff can actually hold its own on a field, not against fighters that have, you know, shields and that sort of thing. And Talon said, bet. <laughs> and so he spent he spent a good 20 minutes just thrashing me. He was like, use any weapon you want. Use any weapon you want. Trade out if you like. And he thrashed me with this quarterstaff. And so I, I, I was like, okay, okay, I won't say that. I would say the quarterstaff is hard to use and make effective on the field, but not impossible. <laughs> not by any stretch of the imagination. But the way that you learn that is by making the mistakes. By taking, you know, uh, this is a definite thing in crafting a lot, too. Sure, sure. That it is very much a process of, all right, I'm going to try this, and it doesn't work. And I have, I have wasted so much leather over the years being like, I'm going to try this. But because I made that mistake as a child, or, you know, metaphorical child, I, I got so much better. Sure. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, Absolutely. that's the thing. Make mistakes, learn your lessons, live your truth. Choose your enemy well. Make sure that you dedicate to whatever you're doing. Make and, and and you know try to destroy weakness as you can. And of course, yeah, guard that honor above all. Thumbs, thank you so much for coming back for this episode. I, I really could not have done it without you. Oh, I'm I'm so I've missed this so much. It is oh, it's so fun to hang out with you. Even if it's you know this like we're serious hanging out, but we're also it's it's my malark time. And I I hope that uh, the schedule shake up a little bit that we're able to be able to meet up on a more on a more regular basis but as as it stands you know dear listeners as you know uh real life is the pain <laughs> yeah. yeah but anyway sir thank you so much for coming on and uh yeah I, I i wish you well in the in your endeavors thanks boss that's our show thank you so much for listening if you haven't had enough of the art of war gaming in your life you can find us on facebook and instagram where I occasionally post funny and educational memes. If you want to get in touch with the show directly, you can email us at artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. Also be sure to check out all of our sister shows on the Earworm Network, including General Nerdery, Word Balloons, Fried Squirms, and more. We're working hard on having something for everyone. And again, you can find those at earworm.com, that's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M. You can also find that in the show notes. But for now, this has been Yaga Malark, signing off. <laughs>